You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck or batteries for your trail cameras, Interstate Batteries has the batteries for your everyday life. Stop into a local retail location. They have thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Or go and visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND that's all lowercase, all one word, Southern Ground at checkout. And that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting? Well, check out tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. Or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Southern Ground Hunting. And now, let's get to the show. All right, on the line today, we have got a special guest from Mississippi. Uh... (laughs) Is that how you say? It? Is that how that? I feel like that's the right way. There's yeah, I was Mississippi. Mississippi. Down um, down a sip. <laughs> we got Land Smathers on with uh, with us today. I'm really excited about this because uh, Land actually was on. It was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it, I think it was like early, early 2021. Was it really? Maybe. It could have been. No, no. That's right. It was like late October. Yeah, I thought, because you, you killed a deer like literally the day after we got. After yeah, we I shot one. We talked about it, and then I shot one the next weekend after that. Yep. That's, that's right. right. That's right. So it was late October. So you had a dang good season last year. It was pretty good. Yeah. All the cool fronts lined up perfect. It was nice. Man. So in Mississippi, you get two or three bucks. Three bucks. Three bucks and three does. Three bucks, three does. Were you able to kill the third one? Yep. Dang. Got the third buck and I got I didn't shoot but two does last year. Normally I normally get all six just because I love to eat deer. So I try to I I I, I take every opportunity I can at the does. Well listen. He he ain't he ain't talking to anybody that don't know about that. Like <laughs> I, man. The last two weeks have been like dough fest for me. Um, yeah. 
I've been saying like I love shooting does. Man, I hadn't seen a whole lot of bucks. I don't know what the deal is. And probably the problem is is that I'm shooting every doe that comes underneath me. So I'm not gonna see a lot of bucks if I shoot a, the first doe that shows up every single time. No, uh, I don't see that as a problem. <laughs> no, that you know, that's uh <laughs> that's what a lot of people say. They say it's it, it, it's not an issue. It's a non-issue with this thing. So I'm pretty excited um, today because I've got something uh, that I want to talk to you about, which we covered a little bit last year when we talked. Yep. Um, but I want to talk about hunting from the ground. And me and Drew, we've talked a lot about this. Drew likes to hunt from the ground quite a bit. Um, and we've talked about doing a you know, kind of just a, a series on ground hunting and talking to, um, talking to some people, you know, like Jared Scheffler, uh, Zach Farrenball, some of those guys who are in Midwestern states that really get a lot, uh, have a lot of success hunting from the ground. But one of the things that, uh, that you find is that most people in the Southeast, um, as far as bow hunters are concerned, don't find a lot of success that way. And probably more than anything, it's because they don't do it. Uh, because for so long, I mean, it's that we live in Climber Central. You know, it's so easy to find a pine tree to get thirty feet up off the ground. Yep. In Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Tennessee, you know, Florida, the it's it's not hard to find a climber tree, and so it kind of just feels like it comes with the territory of bow hunting. But you, sir, have uh, kind of proven that theory wrong in the way that you go about hunting in Mississippi. And so I want to hit on that quite a bit today because I think a lot of guys would benefit from, I mean, we talk about mobile hunting all the time with saddle gear and super lightweight tree stands like Lone Wolf Custom Gear stuff. Uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we hit on all that stuff. We talk about it. Um, but there's nothing more mobile than hunting on the ground. Is that kind of the reason why you started doing it in the first place? Absolutely. It's uh it's quite honestly the most mobile. It's the quickest in and out. It's the quietest. Don't get me wrong, I've got lock on and sticks. It has its place. In fact, one of the bucks I shot last year was out of a lock on and sticks because I needed it in that certain situation. But if you really break your spot down where you think you're gonna kill a buck, honestly, you can you can get it done from the ground and if you can't then you can move 50 yards this way or that way and still pull it off um you know as well as i do hot hunting in the south it's hot a lot of the time and toting in an extra 25 pounds or whatever it is kind of wears on you and then having to hang it that's where the sweat really starts the walking in it's not so bad it's the hanging stuff and straining you know going up a tree even with a lineman's rope I know what people will say. If you take your time, you won't sweat. I guess I'm just different because I sweat every time, no matter what. I I, I have yet to hang, like to hang a set with a saddle or whatever and not break a sweat during the early season. You know, once it gets below, you know, 40 degrees then sure. Yeah. uh, You you can do that, but. Yeah. You can strip down to a a cutoff and you can get away with it and Uh then put your layers on after that. But still, I mean, you got to think about what you're doing. You're climbing a tree and you're trying to do everything quietly. You're, you're tightening straps or whether you go buckle this or whatever you do it, everything's setting in place. You're standing on your toes. 
um, trying to set everything, you know, it's just, it's, it's, uh, I have nothing against it. Cause like I said, I do it every year. It's just, I would prefer to hunt off the ground, especially in spots where I'm, I think I've got a buck pinned down and I've got a good idea on him. If it doesn't work out, I can slide in super quiet. I don't have to break anything down. Yeah. I think that's the thing that always gets me a little bit concerned whenever I go in to an area and try to get really, really tight on where I think maybe a deer's bedded at or, you know, getting in those, when you're in like a high density, a high density area, you, it's tough to not make noise. You know, even though like most of the sticks that we have out now, um, you're using saddle gear, you got all your stuff stealth stripped, even with all that going on, you're still going to make noise. Like it's just, I, I can sit there and I can try my absolute hardest not to make noise, but I'm going to, you know, and I, yeah. And I mean, and, and the higher you get off the ground, the more exposed you are in most areas, mm-hmm. you know, um, there was one, the, one of the bucks I shot last year, <laughs> he was, he wasn't far off the road at all. I mean, I was, I was set up like probably 60 yards off the road, but the way to get into it, I had to crawl hands and knees down a ditch along the edge of the road before I cut in into the woods and there was cars coming by and I could, I could hear them coming down the road and then they'd slow down and they'd see me just crawling in the ditch. And I'm like, dude, just keep going. Don't worry about me. I'm not on meth. I promise. I'm just <laughs> trying to get into my deer stand. But, <laughs> Man, yeah, it's, uh, you, you know, I can remember being a kid and, and going and hunting out in West Texas with my dad. And, uh, if you ever told me at that point in time in my life, that one day I'm going to be taking the long route to get into places and I'm going to be, you know, belly crawling in areas just to get to a spot or heck that I'm going to be taking a boat to an area. Man, I used to hate walking a hundred yards to the tree or to the blind, you know, I'm like, can we yeah. park a little bit closer, you know? Yeah. Um, and we would get up early because we had a 300 yard walk from the truck to the blind. You know, it was like it's easy stuff, like the stuff that would be like a, a cakewalk for us now. And now we're talking about crawling through a ditch and doing all this stuff. Yeah. And it's just crazy, but you really do. Yeah. You really do thinking even back, to that point in my life when I was first starting to hunt on the lease in Texas. And, um, I can remember climbing up in a blind and, you know, if you made a wrong step on the ladder and made a, a, a noise or whatever, you're like, Oh crap. You know, like oh, all the deer are going to be gone. Now we're not going to see anything. And now I'm like breaking down and setting up a, a, in a tree every single hunt, you know, and it just, it makes noise. But I do think, I do think you have some, uh, there are advantages, like you said, that everything kind of has its place and it's easy to get stuck on one method when one method might not be the only way to do it. Now, I will say, I don't know that there's a lot of scenarios where carrying in a, a summit Goliath is the best option. <laughs> I just can't think. Yeah. Of, I can't there, think of a there's lot. A, yeah, there's not a lot. It's super comfortable. That's mm-hmm. one of those things where, you know, you're going to make a, ton of noise you're going to sound like a bear climbing up a tree um but if you're in a spot and it's the rut and it's a good travel corridor and you're going to sit all day you know that's that's honestly the best option 
Yeah. Because yeah. there's not much that gets more comfortable than that. That's true. It's a recliner. Uh, and, and I think everybody's built different too, right? Like for yep. me, I don't mind sitting in a saddle all day long. Like it, right. it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I don't get like, you know, I get sore. I would get more, I guess, antsy in a climber uh, when I use one of those. It, especially on cold, cold days and you're sitting down, your circulation's not really doing much. I think I find that with a, with a saddle, I'm a little more comfortable um, you know, just being able to, um, stand up, you know, you're standing up yeah. still, all your weight isn't on your feet. You're still in a relaxed position. And so, right. and you're not, it's, it's a lot less movement and it doesn't stick out nearly as bad as a big, you know, desert tan or whatever color those climbers are hanging off the side of a tree, especially right. a pine tree, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we're in the I think we're in the tail end of a fad, right? Um, saddle hunting yeah. definitely is effective, and I have shot lots of deer out of a saddle, and I love it. Uh, I'm I, I could not think of a better way for me personally to use an elevated uh, a better method of elevated hunting. But I do th- it was one hundred percent. You know, it's it is a fad, and a lot of people um, a lot of people getting into it. A lot of people putting it down and going a different route. Um, and so I think we're going to see it start to peter out. I, I certainly hope that uh, it doesn't peter out too much because I got great friends that sell saddles, you know, for a living. Yeah. And so I think you're and, gonna... I mean, ground hunting's the same way. You're seeing a big, a big fad with a lot of guys wanting to kill a deer off the ground. That's right. If it's, but it, the, the thing about the ground hunting is that it's been around forever it was around literally forever because mm-hmm. nobody had a tree stand long time ago, but it's, it's a different experience, you know, yes, just like a is. saddle is a different experience. And you see a lot of guys online talking about first saddle kill, which that's awesome, but it, it needs to be taken with a grain of salt, just like everything else that there's a place for every single part of this game. It's sure. like playing poker. You can win with a, with a pair of twos, if everybody else has got a bad hand or you might not win with a flush, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a good analogy. I like that. You know, um, so I guess to give listeners a backstory, if they don't follow Southern ground on any social media or anything like that, uh, I was able to kill my first deer. It's, it's a long, uh, a long, I guess, description of it, but it was my first public land deer from the ground. So, Backstory on that, I've killed a couple of deer from the ground in Texas when I was younger. Um, you know, sitting in brush blinds. Uh, I killed one one time in kind of a makeshift little, basically just in behind a mesquite bush. Um, so I've, I have killed deer from the ground with a bow. But it was it's just different when you're hunting over a feeder. You know exactly where the deer are going to be at. Um, it's, it's just different than it was yesterday so yesterday morning went out killed a deer uh, a doe from a i mean basically a turkey setup is what i it felt like turkey hunting it literally felt exactly like turkey yep. hunting except i had a bow in my hand and i was shooting whitetails but man i'm telling you at 13 yards is where i where i shot her at they came <laughs> right to me right down the trail on a creek crossing I had a blowdown, uh, a small little dinky blowdown, but I was able to shoot with my butt flat on the ground, 
my legs straight out in front of me. One of them crossed over the other, like I was kind of in a relaxed position. And that's exactly how I shot that deer. And, uh, it was so cool, man. Like, I don't, I don't even know what it was about it. That was so cool. But just being right there on ground level, watching those deer walk. And then like, you know, her head went behind a big, a big, uh, a big tree. And that's when I drew. And when she came out from the other side of that, it's just things that you don't do while you're in the elevated position. And I think maybe one of the greatest parts about it was that I was able to just go put my, I mean, it, it was a, she ducked the arrow really hard. I ended up hitting lung and hitting the spine. Um, somehow, I don't even know how that, how that worked out. I guess it was the way that she ducked and rolled. Um, yeah, they roll mm-hmm. every time. But it, it was, it dropped her in her tracks. I was able to go and uh, quickly dispatch of her and, and that, I mean, but I didn't have to tear down any gear, you know, I was able to just walk up to her, you know, it was cool. Yep. It was just, yep. it was just fun, man. I, I, I can't. And so I, I've, like I said, me and Drew have been talking about doing this for a while about doing a ground hunting episode. Drew's got church tonight. So, um, I think we're going to probably start doing some, an, a few more of these ground hunting, uh, episodes, but I thought, man, who better to talk about this and share my excitement than land because this is something you've been doing for a little while. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me ask you one thing. If you'd that? have been elevated and you'd have aimed exactly where you were aiming and that doe had wheeled and rolled like she did, where you think you would have hit her? I don't know. I really, I really don't know. It may have been, uh, let's see if I was set up right in that same spot. Same distance, same spot. You were just up the tree you were up against. It would have probably hit her right in the ch- chest. Maybe, maybe right, chest? right in the chest. Yeah. She kind of, okay. she kind of, I'm trying to think how she actually did it. Yeah. She kind of ducked and, and rolled forward. Like she was coming across the arrow. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it ended up hitting, I don't even know. I, I can't, I can't, I've had so many weird things happen with arrows in <laughs> flight. You just, yeah. you, you don't know. And, uh, unfortunately I didn't get, uh, I didn't get the shot on film because I was my, um, my tacticam was dead. I just, and I, I really didn't even think I was going to kill a deer. Honestly, like it was one of those days where I went out and everything kind of went wrong. And I was like, you know what? I'm leaving the camera stuff in the bag. I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. If something comes out, I got a tacticam and I'll do that. That's when it happens. It's exactly what happens. I ended up seeing, uh, six does and a buck yesterday morning in that spot. Like it, it was, it was, I mean, a good hunt. You know, and all that happened after eight o'clock because I ended up moving. Yeah. So we talked now, about. Here's a little side question. You had said they were cutting timber and it, it made you move. Mm-hmm. Were those deer coming from where they were cutting or were they going towards it or. They were kind of actually going towards it. Um, okay. I was, I was a little bit deeper. So if you think about a creek emptying out into a, a main waterway, um, yep. I was, I walked that creek. Uh, about five or six hundred yards and then i went in i turned left into a drainage uh basically coming off the top of the ridge into that creek bottom so and they were they were cutting up on top of the ridge that's where all the cutting was going on so when i left that spot uh 
probably about eight o'clock, seven, seven fifty, somewhere around there. I left that spot, walked back down the drainage into the creek bottom and walked about a hundred yards closer to where I accessed at. So they were cutting across the creek and going up the ridge that those that the loggers were on. But I honestly, I could barely even hear them uh, cutting where I ended up setting up and ultimately killing that deer at. So that was kind were of they weird. Cutting, were they cutting hardwoods or pines? I believe they were cutting pines. Um, okay. I've been up there before, and they had a bunch of trees marked. Uh, they had a, a, a whole lot of pines marked. So I'm actually kind of excited about it because that means – you know, here in the next couple of years, that'll be excellent, uh, betting yep. for a lot of these deer. So, you know, I'm the reason I was asking is you hear a lot of people say they're cutting timber, the deer are running, they're going to be gone for the season. And I have seen the exact opposite, especially when they're cutting hardwoods. I don't know if those deer, especially in areas that are logged heavily, I don't know if it's because those deer know that they're going to have more access to the acorns that are on the tree or the leaves maybe yeah but in hardwood areas where they're cutting i see a lot of deer traffic headed towards the actual cutting Mm -hmm. so whenever you say they're cutting the timber on my place i'm looking i don't don't know what it's going to do the deer population or the area the the deer in my area i would take a second glance at it dude because it's probably not as bad as you think it's going to be well my for me whenever it comes to you know it does. I, I've heard people getting off of leases because the timber company comes in and they're they're cutting the woods down or whatever. So they get off of the lease because they don't they don't have any woods anymore. For me personally, cutovers are my favorite thing to hunt. Whether it be a hundred percent, you know, yeah. my my absolute favorite scenario is a stream management zone, an SMZ coming out of a, a, a group of woods, a, a wood block into the cutover. That's my favorite thing to hunt because it's yep. such a predictable travel route for deer. And it's it creates the first available food source for them. Um, I've talked a lot about SMZs. I did a video about them this past summer. I, I just really enjoy hunting those. And so whenever I see uh, people cutting Whenever I see the timber companies cutting, I, it just makes me excited because I love hunting. Oh, yeah. That first year, I mean, even the first, especially if they cut like wintertime. Yeah. That first year of growth, dude, it's it's a magnet. And, you know, a lot of times you hear about the, the, the two of the bucks that I killed last year were three-year-old cutovers. They were coming out of there. Mm-hmm. And it, I was kind of concerned because when you look at early season where those deer are living, the greenery inside of it, just the foliage and the new sprouts and all that stuff, it's it almost beats acorns, yes, which is hard to do. But I got lucky because the acorns, I, I guess since they're in there eating that early succession growth and all that throughout the day, then, then they go for something a little different. I don't know if a deer's mind is capable of, you know, processing that, but that's, that's I, I capitalized off of that. But I've seen, I mean, that first year when it just that, that three to four foot tall, just nasty thickness, especially the briars and stuff, that's the, they're in there. Yeah, they are. You know, I, I think back to, uh, about a month ago being in North Dakota and, uh, there's crops everywhere. You know, there's beans that are green, there's standing corn, there's, 
acorns starting to fall in places where they're at and there's piles of corn that we had put out in all these spots and mm-hmm. jared schaefer uh, i don't know if you watch this video or not that's on the tethered channel jared schaefer had an encounter with a buck that was a pretty good ways away but he stood up out of these cattails and was eating the cattail reeds uh, yep. he had all of this food but chose to stay in that heavy cover and just be okay with the cattail reeds is what it looked like yep. to me. And so it, it kind of shows me that uh, in a cutover or anywhere where that offers a lot of security, if they have any food source in there, I feel like a lot of times maybe it's just bigger bucks will choose that security over, you know, the, the better food source, uh, especially in the, day, in the daylight. They're going to choose yep. that security. Um, yep. and that's part of the reason why I like hunting SMZs is because they get both. They get the, the oaks that are dropping that are still in that Creek bottom and they're getting the acorns, but they still have the security of that cutover. And yep. that's why I feel like it's just such a predictable, a predictable area to hunt for, for deer in general, but also for, you know, higher age class bucks. So those SMZs, man, they, they just they rock i love them i love hunting coders yep. what you're talking about doesn't surprise me at all that I, and i could i could tell you crap i couldn't even begin to count since i started hunting public land how many deer i have seen and killed how many of the bucks i've killed have walked off of cutovers or you yep. know three four five year old cuts like yeah almost, that's, that's kind of like that's like what kind of like what we talked about the last podcast is my number one that's what i hunt is that closest food source to the bedding area mm-hmm. and especially if you got like a square let's say a 10 acre block of cutover which is pretty small for a cutover but let's just use that as a reference everything on the edge mm-hmm. on the downwind side of that edge it's it's not going to work 100 percent of the time but that's going to be the first option that allows you to get in there close enough. That's and if right. you can catch that quarter and win on a corner, I mean, that's, it's money. That's, that's, right. that's how I kill 90. I don't know how many, nine, 10 bucks I kill. That's how I'm killing them. Do you, feel and it's like, going to be that very last, you know, that last little bit of daylight. Do you but, feel land like, like deer use the cutover? Um, uh, like obviously we know that deer are living in there and they're bedding down in these cutovers. Do you feel like they bed in the same spots on these cutovers or do you feel like they, they do some wind-based type bedding in those cutovers? I personally, I don't see any wind-based bedding. I see the shift with the shade. Okay. The shade, they're going to move with the shade. Like our sun rises in the east, they're going to be, they're going to be coming into the bed from the West or however they come in, they're going to start out, you know, on the, they're going to start out on the East side. And then as that went, that sun shifts, they're going to start shifting over and they're just going to kind of follow the shade as long as it's, hmm. it's, it's hot, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause a lot of the times, most of my, my buck, it, it works out perfect because I'm expecting the bucks to come from the north when i when i go in a lot of times i wait for a cool front to go in mm-hmm. and it'll be a north or a northwest or northeast wind some kind of north wind and they're coming out of the the south end of that cutover 
and moving mm-hmm. to the south. So they're not really moving with the wind at their face. They're, I just don't see wind-based movement. Now, that changes in the morning. I'll hunt on the shady side yeah. if the wind permits it, you know, especially early season where we've got a lot of south winds. That northern end of the the area, if you know possibly where he could be coming from, you'll try to cut him off right there headed into it. And there's all, I mean, you know, a lot of our cutovers, they're either going to be pine thickets around them with green briar, maybe neighboring food plots, whatever that they're coming from at night, or it could be oak flats, but they're, they're, they're coming from that night food back into bed. So you just kind of play in my, in my experience, in my opinion, you play the shade more than you play the actual wind. But I mean, as far as them, that's um, something I have not heard. I like it, and and when I think about it, it makes total sense. I mean, I definitely as long as the, as long as your cutover's not too, you know, if the cutover's big and they've got shade wherever they bed, you know, if it's mm-hmm. if it's eight, ten foot, fifteen foot tall, then that doesn't really apply. But if it's, if it's, you know, that three to five feet, six feet, whatever, where they're not sure they could be, have the sun beaming on them while they're in the bed, they shift with that shade, man. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. I can think of a lot of situations where that has been the case. I like it. I'm definitely going to be paying more attention to that. Um, and, and I, I have in like early season you know, out of state hunts or I'm hunting bean fields or whatever. And, and they're definitely using that shady area first. That makes total sense to me with, with these cutovers. That's, uh, that's something. So. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's deer. Every one of them's different. Some of them will sit out there in the shade and in somebody's yard, you know, in bed down and just sit there and take it. But the majority of them, it's just like us. Would you rather, you know, lay in the yard in the sun, or would you rather sit up under the awning in the shade? Right. You know, especially if you had a coat on like that. I feel like that's some bonus. That's like bonus podcast info that we had no intention yeah. of talking about. That was good stuff. I, I'll bill you later. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and guys listening, take note of that. Like, especially if you're hunting in the Southeast, that's one thing that we do have a lot of out here. When I hear guys up north talking about, I'm hunting this this cut, and I look at it, and I'm like, that just looks like woods, man. They don't look like a cut. They cut down like one tree, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, out here, they they cut out acres, you know, acres of every tree. Oh yeah. And yeah. so I we get a lot of them. There's a lot of cutovers. It's my, one of my favorite things to hunt. They make me excited every time I can find one. So um, definitely take note of that. So land. You, um, how long have you been doing this ground game? Was there a moment when it just like clicked or you just been doing it pretty much forever? Pretty much forever. Um, I I grew up hunting out of stands that were preset that like my, my grandfather or my uncle would set and I just go sit them. But then when I got tired of sitting in those spots, I just, you know, start freelancing, just go find a spot. And uh, one of the first good bucks I ever killed, I went in, and there was a there was a big old piece of limestone rock that I don't know if somebody long time ago had set it right there, but it was right up next to a a big old tree, a big oak tree, 
on the edge of this little bluff. And I say a bluff, it's more like a, a slight grade, but <laughs> it was coming up out of a, out of a uh, Creek bottom. And I said, that's a perfect spot to sit. So I sat there and I put my back up against the tree and a little while later coming up out of this bottom that nobody ever hunted. It was where our horses were. Um, here comes this eight point. Now, I mean, he wasn't anything special, but he's, you know, 15 inch wide slick horned eight point biggest buck I'd ever shot. I smoked him. I was like, Oh, there's, there's other ways to kill deer than sitting in the stands. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, man, I, if I don't personally like where a stands at, I'll just go sit on the ground somewhere. That's where it all kind of originated from. And, and then it just kind of morphed into now, if I don't have to have a stand or if I think, you know, a lot of times I'll leave the truck and I'm like, I, if I don't, I'm not carrying my stand in this spot because I don't know where I'm really going, but I'll make it work somehow. And it's funny how 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 you can make it work if yeah. you really try. Yeah, I was but. thinking about um, earlier when you were talking, and I was thinking about uh, just kind of what I'm doing. And this this next week, I'm leaving on Friday to go to Kentucky to hunt up there again, and um, you know, going into a big, huge area it's all public land in there and it's huge and uh last year i went in there and i scouted more than i hunted uh, like the first three days i ended up killing on day three or four but I, the the days prior to it i spent most of my time scouting but i always took my sticks my saddle all of my you know camera equipment to film out of a tree all that would be in my pack and I'd be covering miles and miles and miles. And I'm like, man, I'm not looking forward to doing that crap again. You know, like <laughs> when you're care it's not bad to do the walking, to just go scout and cover miles. That's not hard at all. But when you think of all the equipment that you're taking and you're just scouting until you find something good enough to hunt. And sometimes you don't find anything good enough to hunt. And you're like, well, I'm just not even going to hunt. Like, I'm just not, I'm not going to hunt at all today. I'm not going to hunt the last hour because, you know, I, I don't want to set up all my stuff and then get back down and do all that stuff. So I actually changed after, after the experience yesterday and killing that doe yesterday from the ground. I'm like, man, this is doable. I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. And while I'm scouting, I'm not going to worry about taking all my stuff. I'm not going to worry about taking all my sticks and my platform, filming equipment, all that stuff. I'm going to take my pack with some water, maybe a tripod with my camera, and just go and walk around. And if I find something good worth setting up on, maybe I'll set on the ground. Maybe I'll come back, you know, the next day or exactly. in a couple of days when the wind is right and do yep. a full setup. But my hunting is not dependent on elevated, being in an elevated position. Not at all. Right. You know, and so that's, that's the thing you can... You go in your first day, you find a spot, and you're like, this is great from the ground, but it would be even better if I was in a tree. So you try it from the ground, and if it doesn't work out, you slip out real quiet. Yeah. Very little disturbance. You come back in with your with a better approach. That's right. And there's you, you, you nailed it when you said very little disturbance because, you know, if you go and scout, if you're doing a, an out-of-state hunt and you don't have time to scout, you know, months in advance – you're going to put a little bit of pressure on an area regardless if you're going and scouting, which you should be going and scouting. You should, in my opinion, with those out-of-state hunts, you should spend at least three days where you do more scouting than you do hunting. But, exactly. um, you know, in any new new area like that, you got to get a, 
a handle on what the deer are actually doing in there. If you have no, if you're not familiar with it, you, you definitely need to know how it lays out. Is there, you know, the right cover? Is there transitions? Whatever. Things you can't tell from a map. And mm-hmm. so you need to do that kind of stuff. And so I was just thinking about it, man. I was like, but, so now, I mean, it ultimately, it changes my approach to everything. Like, absolutely everything. Even with a bow, but, dude, whenever it comes to rifle hunting, crap. <laughs> like. Yeah. Oh, it's it's dirty when it comes to rifle hunting. Because, I mean, you don't even have to, you don't have to think about your approach as much. That's right. So to speak. I mean, when you can, when you can up your yardage from 30 yards to 100, 150, you know, you're talking about you're, the door's wide open then. That's right. As long as you can see that far. Yeah. So what do you think for you personally, uh, if you got three to five things, what would you say are the biggest pros that you've found for hunting from the ground? Wind is number one. Okay. There's, there's, you can't compete with it. You think about if you were to drop milkweed from 20 feet up in the tree, the options it has to blow and then sit on the ground when you're two feet off the ground and see where that wind has to blow. It's, it can't compare. I mean, it's completely, there's no argument there. Yeah. Um, and number two would be shot angle. It's the best shot. It's just like you're shooting in your yard. Mm -hmm. And when, if they duck, you're, you know, I, I try not to shoot over 30 yards every now and then if the, the conditions are perfect and maybe it's a little windy or their head's up and they're not that alert. They're just chewing on an acorn or something. Yeah. I'll make that 35, 40 yard shot. But generally speaking, that inside of 30 yards, if you're aiming at the heart like I like to do, you're going to get at the very, very worst at 30 yards top of the lungs. Mm-hmm. and it's it's a dead deer yeah um the doe i shot this year i mean uh, earlier this season a couple weeks ago she ducked and rolled so hard that i hit her in the hind quarter hmm. but it was fortunate because i i shoot i know you and a lot of people i have a semi heavier i'm shooting like 480 grains mm-hmm. so it's not real heavy but it's not, you know, 350, 360, like a standard arrow would be. Yeah. Um, and I shoot an expandable because I've got that extra weight pushing behind it and it cut the, the femoral and she was dead within 40 yards. But what I'm getting at is, uh, had I been elevated the way she turned and rolled, I'd have shot her like in the top of the hip. Yeah. It's, it's the, just from her angle when she turned, towards me and rolled it just it would not have worked out the way it did i got lucky i'll say that but that's partly my fault because the deer were already kind of on edge i guess and i was trying to make a shot work because i really wanted some back strap (laughs) but um the yeah the the wind the wind cons the wind part of it is number one i mean that's majority of the reason i hunt from the ground when you're sitting you'd be amazed I was just going to say, talk about that a little bit further because, I mean, it's more than just wind direction, right? Like, it's, oh, yeah, it's ri- thermals, rising and falling thermals that you can adjust for. Uh, right. I mean, I mean, do you find yourself doing that a lot throughout, like, on an evening hunt where you have the thermals 
are rising when you get in there and then once the sun goes over the horizon it's they start falling do you find yourself adjusting a lot to that sometimes most of the time when i go in i've already got a preset if it's cloudy i already know the thermals are going to be dropping especially if i go in like after three o'clock i already know the thermal if it's cloudy the thermals are going to be dropping all afternoon yeah um if it's sunny then the thermals you know they're going to be kind of rising until it hits behind those trees and then they'll start dropping so some of the some of the time it's it's kind of a play-by-play you a lot of the times i'll watch and i'll just stand there at the top of the hill or you know, 200 yards back and wait for that sun to drop until the thermals start dropping. Then I'll creep into my spot. Like I said, when you're on the ground, you can go slow because you're already hunting on the yeah. way in. You you just you just creep all the way in, especially that like up here. I mean, one spot that I've got, the oaks are huge. And where I go in at, the sun goes behind them at like 3 o'clock. 330 okay. so it starts dropping and when it, as soon as that sun hits those trees it's automatically going to start cooling off um just start creeping in the if it's cloudy man i'll go in there whenever because you know the thermals aren't going to be rising on a cloudy day it's just not going to happen mm-hmm. um and and from there once you get to your spot especially if you're in like a lot of these places that i hunt i'm i'm going in with a set of shears and some about four foot pieces of cane. We got river cane everywhere up here. I'll cut some about the size of your pinky and just, you can roll those up in a little bundle with some night eyes, twist ties or whatever, carry them in with you, stick those in the ground. And then you can put, you can zip tie whatever you want to. And once you get in, I use cedars a lot. Once you get inside that, that little blind that you make with those cedars, your scent's not going anywhere. It's going to be just like in a ground blind, like these pop-up hub style blinds. Mm -hmm. Your scent's just contained. I mean, I never, hardly ever get busted unless you get that wild gust of wind, you know, that swirls real hard back towards where the deer are or something, which I mean, it's going to happen either way, especially in the South, but cedars are your best friend when it comes to ground blind because they smell so strong do you uh do you shoot a specific like shorter axle to axle type bow so that you can shoot off the ground or do you find that it doesn't really matter are you pretty specific it doesn't really matter as long as you're not sitting on your flat on your butt um but when you're sitting flat on your butt kind of like you were mm-hmm. i tend to find if you if you've got anything other than straight uh 45 or 90 degree angle then that cam may hit the like if you're shooting maybe downhill a little bit from mm-hmm. there and you got to catch your bow down just a little bit that could cause a problem when that bow goes off that cam's going to slap the ground that i use a lot of the time a turkey stool you know what I'm talking about with the uh-huh. little like four inch legs. Yep. It's got the little the the two sets of legs that pop out. That completely annuls all of that. Doesn't matter what you're. Doesn't matter if you're shooting a longbow. I mean, most of your longbows you're canting them to the side, one side or the other anyway. Um, but if you're sitting flat on your ground on your butt, 
then then a longer axle axle could be an issue if you're shooting slightly downhill. But me, I've got, I mean, I've shot a Hoyt VTEC for, I shot that for, since I was like 15. And I just got a new bow three years ago, two years ago. Yep. And it's a, it's a 28 inch actual axle and I do not like it. Really? I wish I'd have gotten the 31 or the 32. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's too much room for torque. And I mean, uh, you, you can, it's your grip has way more to yeah. do with your actual shot process than say a longer axle axle. Mm -hmm. There's more forgiving the 28. I'm, I'm going to get another one before next year. And I'm going to go back to my 31, 30. Hell my, Hoyt VTEC was like a 34 or 35, <laughs> you know, it was, it was old school, Yeah, but it would kill them lights out. So when you, when you're set up in your Turkey school, in your Turkey stool, um, that, that was something I kind of wanted to get at is like your, I guess your sitting method for, for hunting on the ground. I know some people who, um, they'll sit Indian style in a way that they can kind of just pop up real quick if they need to, but there's one thing that with sitting on the ground with ground hunting, that is for sure is that your legs are going to start going to sleep. Um, yep. if you're not in some type of, if you're not elevated a little bit to where your legs can get under underneath you. And then also yeah. the thing that I found out yesterday, it just worked out fine because of the way that the deer came in, they were perfectly, you know, at that, at like my 10 o'clock. So it was perfect shot. Um, but had a deer come in at my one o'clock or by two o'clock, uh, I would have had to shift around and do all kinds of goofy stuff to try to get, try to get turned around. Um, yep. That's an issue. Do you find do it's you, similar to your weak side on like a, if you're hunting in the stand or something. That's right. But it's, it's a whole lot more movement whenever you're on their level. You know, hundred percent. It, it's not like being up above them 20 feet and, being able to kind of shift around a little bit like this is like you're right they're right there next to you and you're trying to move around on it's just not happening probably right and so are you are you like when you go to make a shot are you trying to get you know on your knees are you trying to stand up you're trying to shoot from your sitting position what's what's that look like for you uh if i Unless something bad happens and I have to shoot from a, an awkward angle, I'm always going to shoot from like my one o'clock to four o'clock. And that's me shooting left-handed because right. yeah, I, I think I mentioned it last time. I had eye surgery, so I just switched to lefty. And I guess in reverse, that would be 11 to seven. Yeah, 11 to seven. I always try to set up where that's my shot window. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the, the, a lot of the spots that I set up, I have one angle to shoot at. Now there, I may, I may have one little hole where I can shoot the opposite way, but it's going to cause so much movement for me to get to that side that it's really not even an option. Would um, you call that a, a con to ground hunting is your, oh yeah, your shots yeah. are going to be a lot fewer? Well, I wouldn't say a lot fewer, but especially if you're if you're a gun hunter then i would strongly advise everybody to come extremely ambidextrous ambidextrous yeah. um it's if big, you can shoot right-handed mississippi boy isn't it? yeah oh ambidextrous <laughs> but uh if you can shoot right-handed and that's what you've grown up doing then go to the range and burn a box of shells shooting left-handed 
it's not hard. Yeah. As long as you're getting that, getting a good cheek weld on that, on the butt of that gun and you're lining the crosshairs up, it'll hit pretty yeah. much exactly where you want it to. Um, but if you're bow hunting, that's the one con that's literally the only con that I've found. Yeah. Because even moving with deer in range, you, you can move people. It's people kind of treat it like turkey hunting where you cannot move a muscle. You can absolutely move while a deer is in range. As long as that deer's heads down, you can, if you just creep, just move as slow as you possibly can. You can move all you want, but you got to do it slow. Cause that's what deer, that's what their vision picks up is quick movement. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you, I mean, just like, let's see, there's Saturday afternoon. I've had two opportunities at big bucks the last four days, Saturday afternoon. I had one at 30 yards, dead to rights, broadside. I could see him with my eyes. I drew back on him and he's standing there at 30 yards eating under an oak. Could not see my pins through when I'm looking at him just with my eyeballs. I could see him clear as day. When I look through that peep, I couldn't see my pins good enough to shoot him. And then yesterday evening, which I was talking to you yesterday evening. Yeah. Um, a little while after we talked, I had a good one. I mean, he was like, he was spindly horned, short tine, but he was like 20 inches wide, 19, 20 inches wide. I think he was at eight point. He was there at 40 yards and I drew back on him and I had one tree in between us. He came in from my right. I'm drawing back, waiting on him to come around that tree. And right about the time his nose came out around that tree, he just turned and he fed back the way he came. And, you know, barring that tree being there, he'd be dead right now. But yeah, it's just, it's, that's, that's the only con is your, your shot angles are more limited yeah. than say if you were up in a tree. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've noticed that I've watched a lot of your Instagram, Facebook stories and stuff like that. I've kind of seen how you set up your ground you know, you know, your, I guess, makeshift blinds or whatever. And it's got very limited, uh, shot opportunities, but that kind of leads me into my next thought with it. Um, if you go into an area where you, maybe it's a spot you've hunted before, or you kind of know the direction that the deer are going to come from, um, are you trying to set up with some type of barrier in the way that will protect your draw? So like they, they have to cross behind something and that gives you the opportunity to draw. I don't necessarily do that, but I try to create a barrier that I can see through, but they can't see into well up until the point it comes time to shoot. Right. So yes and no. So if I can see them coming, I'm like, okay, that's, that's either a doe I want to shoot or a buck I want to shoot. Then right as they get to where they're going to be coming into my shooting window i'm drawing yeah and even if they catch some type of movement behind it with behind that cover in between you and them it, it worse comes to worse they stand there and they stare at it for 30 seconds or so and if you're a bow hunter you better be able to hold your bow back for at least a minute and a half two minutes because mm -hmm. i mean that that situation is going to come up whether you're on the ground or in a tree yeah um even if it's a deer that you draw back on them, they walk behind a tree and feed for, you know, a minute and a half. Um, that's, that's how I try to set up everything is I got a little hole if I can to look through 
to where I can see deer coming. And then there's a, a spot, a blind spot for them where I can draw. And then by the time they pop out, it's too late and daddy's eating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I noticed everything yesterday for me worked out really perfect. Um, it wasn't on purpose. Not really. I mean, I, I knew I was in a good spot where, where deer crossed, you know, place I've hunted before. So I knew deer, I, I, that all went into my setup, but there was this big, huge oak tree that was like right there at like 15 yards. And the deer, every deer that came down that trail crossed behind it. And as soon as they got on the other side is where I was able to shoot. And so it really, it really worked perfect. And I've, I've heard of other people back in Texas, you talk about, uh, people would put corn into like a cactus patch they would, if they had their, they had their pile of corn, they would put a little bit of corn into a patch of cactus where those deer were really more concentrated on getting the corn out of that cactus. And that's where you could draw back on them while they're yeah their eyes are blocked exactly and so um you know i just wondered if that was something you know everybody's when you're setting up in an area whether it be elevated or whatever there's there's things that you're looking for you know you want to you want to have the cover in the tree and there's things that go into your setup and so i wondered with somebody who hunts pretty much strictly from the ground or a lot from the ground if that's something that you always look for either a a hump in a, a, a hump in the terrain or some type of, you know, bush or thick cover that they would cross behind just to give you the opportunity to draw. Now, do yeah, you- it's one of those deals that, you know, every situation is completely different. A lot of the times I don't have any type of setup. There's sometimes that just like turkey hunting, if a turkey gobbles, you know, 50, 60, 80 yards from me, I just stand there with my right shoulder up against the tree with barely looking out with one eye waiting on him to come in. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've shot, I can't tell you how many turkeys standing up. Um, bow hunts the same way, especially these afternoon hunts where I get off work and I've got, you know, when the time changes, I've got one hour to go hunt somewhere. I'll slip in real quiet. And I mean, I'll just stand there the whole time. And I may have, you know, one piece of privet in between me and the deer. And that's all you need. Just something to break up your outline. It doesn't mm-hmm. take much. Deer cannot see that well. Do you um, ever have situations where maybe you see a buck or a deer that you want to shoot and it maybe goes past you or it's out of range or it's, you know, going another direction to hunting off the ground? Obviously, it's a little bit easier to make moves. Do you ever do that? Yeah, absolutely. Roll out, hook him. I mean, just like anything else, just make a move on him. I mean, if if it's now that's barring if you've got all season to hunt him. Like right now, I'd let him go. Yeah. If I, if he got through there and I couldn't get a shot at him, just like yesterday, I just roll out. I I didn't leave the stand yesterday till like eight o'clock. Hmm. I just I made sure he was way past me before I ever slipped out. And I can slide out, drop down in the creek, go right back out the way I came. And there's no issue. Now, if you're on like your Kentucky trip and you're down the last day or two, just, yeah, you you don't have anything to break down. You don't have to climb down the tree. Mm-hmm. Just roll over on your hip, move, you know. Try to cut them off, you know, do, yeah. do something yeah. like you're, that. That's the good thing about bow hunting. I mean, uh, ground hunting is you're – 
you can move quickly and quietly as long as the leaves aren't too <laughs> crisp. Yeah. That, I mean, honestly, that uh, I, I, you can think back to if people watch like any of the whitetail adrenaline stuff or even the hunting public stuff, there's so many situations where, you know, they're chasing a deer that they've already got eyes on. You know, they're, yep. they're going after a deer. They're trying to keep eyes on him to see which way he goes and then, and then try to, I just watched, yeah, I was watching the, I can't even remember what video I was watching today, but one of the THP videos where Aaron gets down out of his saddle and that was so up, awesome. ends up stalking in on a, on a buck. And it, that, I mean, that whole situation was cool. It's not really applicable necessarily to this conversation, but how much easier that would have been for him if he wasn't set up in a saddle, if he was just been on the ground that day, yep. he would have been able to do that. And it would have probably been a lot less stressful. Um, yeah. But I just, 100%. you see this type of stuff, you see these videos, you hear people like yourself talk about it and you think like anything, well, there has to be something to this. You know, I, I've thought to myself that before, but I always talk myself out of it. Like, no, I need to be, I need to be set up in the saddle. I need to be set up in a tree. And I don't know, man. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm just getting wiser, but there, it seems like there's a lot of pretty, um, trustworthy individuals who have no agenda necessarily to push that are finding a lot of, a lot of value in ground hunting. And so, um, it's, uh, it's one of those deals where, you know, you drop several hundred dollars on something. You kind of want to justify using it. Right. Um, but when you drop that amount of money, what you need to remember is that you're, you're paying for the best on the market, not necessarily to use every time you go hunting, but that when you need it, it's the best you can get. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, 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 I like you like, so I guess for me, a lot of it goes into self-filming. Um, yeah. It's easier. Now that's that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. If you're up in a tree, self filming is a million times easier. That's right. Than if you're on the ground. But check this out. I mean, that's part of the reason why self filming turkeys is so freaking hard. Um, yeah. But there are ways that you can do it. I just got thinking about my equipment, and I got this new camera this year. That's called it's a Insta three sixty is what it's called, and people may have seen Shane Simpson use it. Uh, a lot during yeah, it's kind of like the GoPro. It, yeah, it's like the GoPro. It has a little more functionality than the GoPro 360 does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen him using that. Those things are badass. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're I fine. can't say that. No, you can say whatever you want. Um, it's uh, I, I've used it for two or three of three, I guess three of my hunts this year uh, or killed my videos that I've put out. And the mm-hmm. functionality of the thing is freaking awesome. But for ground hunting, especially with a bow, I mean, most bow shots are going to be within relatively close range. It shoots in uh, 5.7K so or 5.6 or whatever it is. Um, so you've got a lot of uh, ability to, to crop in post-production. Yeah. And you can literally, they make a stake. That go that screws into the bottom of the selfie stick, and you can just stick it in the ground next to you, and it literally will film 360 degrees around you. And so all you got to do that's nasty. Hit record on that thing. And the cool thing about it is, in post production, 
whenever you're editing, you can actually drag and set the the keyframe. You can like so it could be on you, and then it just like you can set it in post to turn and go to pan on, over to pan over to the deer. So it's yeah, I've seen you do that on yours, and mm-hmm. that's 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 nasty, dude. And I kind of you know in the couple years ago i used a gopro specifically i used to film hunts everything i did i filmed with a with a dslr and i filmed turkey hunts for a guy named preston Pittman, who's a turkey hunter and uh i would use a gopro and i would set it up in the tree behind me and it was not 4k and i would just run like a uh a portable charger up Mm -hmm. to it so it stayed on the whole time and then just work it through my phone the problem was can't crop like a 780p you know yeah or 720 whatever it, it turns into absolute nightmare but that thing that you got is nuts i mean the technology is crazy and that would be perfect for a guy that wants to film his ground hunting because That's you right. don't have to move you're not mm-hmm. panning a camera personally you just do it in post-production after yep and, and you're not going to get the same quality you know as you would with a dslr but in a lot of ways, to me, it looks cooler. Like, you get a cool yeah. shot. Um, yeah. And somebody the other day actually thought I was doing it in response to a lot of the YouTube uh, terms that are kind of going on right now, or that were going on with Seek One getting demonetized and all that stuff. They thought I was doing that as a way of not actually showing the full shot on video, um, which wasn't that wasn't what I was doing. I just thought it looked cooler than the shot that I got with my... Uh, main camera and so um but like for turkey hunting for ground hunting deer that's definitely a good a good option if you don't have a cameraman um and so i'm going to be using that option man like that's usually the reason why yeah. i talk myself out of like just hunting from the grounds because if i shoot something i, I want to get it on film like that's part of it for me and um and that thing's 360 is that right or is it yeah. 340 320 it it shoots a are you talking about how much it costs or like no 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 the 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 angle of, it, or the view it's 360 it will it literally goes see that like that completely globe. yeah that, that i mean that's i think you're gonna see a lot of that yeah. especially this year mm-hmm. especially when you can with that would you say it was 5.6k or something yeah, like that five seven or five six something like that yeah that's awesome. i mean you're talking about cropping and zooming and all that after that's that's gonna be nasty. Uh, it, personally, that's what I would use, and I've been filming hunts for ten years, twelve years now. Yeah, I mean, it's just it cuts out everything, especially for a self filmer. And the size of it, it's as big as a GoPro. You know, is like yeah, a little bitty thing. Now, yeah, you you struggle with like audio quality on the on that camera is pretty crappy. So you you got to figure out if you're gonna make you know good film, you gotta figure out if nothing else you can have your camera this is what i plan to do when i ground hunt or when i'm doing like scout scouting deals and i'm just you know maybe i set up and hunt i'll have my main camera on a tripod where if i can get it on it great if not i'll at least have it on where i can catch it with the catch the audio with it and then i'll just sync up the audio with the 360 but definitely have that 360 running to where you know you get everything and so I think, yep. you know, for me, that was kind of the reason what held me back from it. But now, after experiencing it, thinking about it a little bit more, I think I'm going to 
just create my setup to work both ways, you know, work yeah. for hunting on the ground, work for elevated, whatever I need to do, I'll, I'll make it happen. So, um, man, I want to respect your time. We've been talking for about an hour and is there anything else that, that you feel like is absolutely necessary to cover when talking about hunting from the ground? Well, there's, there's a lot of different approaches to hunting from the ground and I kind of, I trap a lot and I would take, uh, I like to use the trapping analogy for when I get a new place. Um, when I get a new place for trapping, I go in and I hit the easiest spots first with the most gaudy setups that you can imagine. And what happens is you catch a lot of the young of the year. And then once you catch them out, your catches start to fall off a little bit. Um, after that, you start using a little bit more of a discreet approach. And you run into a couple more, like let's say coyotes or beavers or whatever it is, bobcats, fox. And then the last approach is when you really get the, the prime. That's when you get – the more discreet you become with your setups is when you become – you catch the oldest animals on that property, the most savvy animals on that property. And I like to use that for deer because when I go in, it, let's say I got a new piece of public that I go into, I'm going to hit the easiest spots first. And you're going to see small bucks, does, and you're probably going to get picked off by mama. Then uh, from there, you start refining and start, moving in and being a little bit more discreet with your setups and you start you start edging more towards you might see that bigger buck at 80 yards 100 yards then from there you your third phase of your hunt becomes slipping in and being absolute stealth navy seal mode <laughs> and that's when you end up linking up with the big one um, I would, in my, in my opinion, when you're hunting from the ground, failure is your best friend. Um, learn from every opportunity you get, um, start easy, set up somewhere that you can watch from. You'll probably have opportunities at those shoot them. Um, if you, if you don't have antler restrictions in your county and you're a new hunter and just starting ground hunting slack them i don't care if it's a 10 inch wide six point slack them um that's what i did and and all that does is it kind of makes you a better hunter and then you start honing in your skills and you start easing more towards that big buck and what happens is just like these last couple days you get like the one that I had Saturday night, I was using a creek. I was coming in off the road, crossing through some pines, dropping into a creek, and it was a creep. Creek to creep. And I was creeping down, and you just you go as slow as you can, and you're. I was probably 40 yards from a big thicket, and there was a couple of water oaks right beside it. And I knew that's he had to be coming out of that cutover because the only other option was – to go across county road mm -hmm. so i set up right there and for i mean he came out but just wasn't early enough um 
and the only way I knew to do that was from backing off, you know, I was originally earlier in the season set up 100, 150 yards from there. And I was getting him, I don't know, 30 minutes after dark coming from the direction that I set up. Mm-hmm. So it's just everything is uh, you, you make plays and they don't work and you move in a little bit closer and you, you use wind to your favor in every situation, no matter what. Um, that'll kill you every time. If it's not right, it'll kill you every time. You can't get lucky with a big butt. I mean, you can, but you can't. Yeah. Not if you want to do it consistently. It sounds to me everything that you're explaining is what I explain to people about self-filming. They go out, they want to kill kill big, huge buck on film. They get disappointed whenever, you know, they miss the opportunity to kill the buck because they were trying to film it and it messed them up. I think part of it is is literally like anything. It's practice. So practicing on does, you know, if you want to self-film, kill some does, you know, take that early season. That's what I do. I I try to refine my filming by shooting does in the early season. And uh, it gives me the practice that I need to make it happen whenever it whenever it counts, you know, and sometimes you just won't. You know, sometimes you'll screw it up and maybe you shoot a buck off film. Same thing with ground hunting. Sometimes you're going to screw it up and maybe you, he busts you while you're drawing. You know, it, it, but it definitely is all about practice. The, the best way to, to be consistent is to practice. And so, yeah, you know. I mean, just like when you, if you're a new hunter, just swack everything, man. I mean, yeah. like, don't worry about going and killing big bucks. That's, that'll come in, in time. I mean, you're not, if you're not already a big buck killer, you're not going to go out with a camera and start shooting big bucks magically. (laughs) You got to learn, you got to learn the basics. It's just like any other sport in the world. You can't go from T-ball to the major leagues. I mean, you just gotta, everything is in stages. Just start whacking small bucks. Who cares? I mean, the deer are more populated than ever. Just kill them. Joe Blow on the internet no. cares, but his uh, his I don't care don't what really, Joe Blow says. His his opinion don't really matter a whole lot. Yeah, he ain't killing anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate you coming on the show, man, and uh, I wish you the best of luck this year. Um, you still got you still got quite a while before the rut kicks off in Mississippi, right? And then a late rut. Of yeah, that? it usually it usually they start cruising pretty hard about december 6th to the 14th this seems to be the sweet spot when it starts and then it's not over till shoot easter <laughs> so you know how that is yeah but yeah. uh yeah i mean i'm 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 playing my cool fronts right now so good deal man well good luck man and i'm uh i'm gonna hit the sack i got a early morning gonna go try to kill one in the morning and then the next day is kentucky for a week so it's uh, all right bro good luck i appreciate it All right, man. Have a good one. Keep whacking them. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. 
I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.